House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Now today we're going to be talking about a different kind of crime, one that we haven't really covered up to now. Um, so it's kind of a new thing, but I think it's something we might start hearing more about. And it's really the crime um, uh, based in kind of a social media way. And so uh, who we've got is we've got a, a guest that's written a book for Wild Blue Press. And um, let's see, it's called You Have a Very Soft Voice, Susan. And it's a shocking true story of internet stalking. Susan Fenston. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on. So, um, <laughs> normally I always start out and say, well, uh, ask the author how they started writing and what they um, what brought them into writing. Now, is this your first book? Yeah, this is my first book. Um, I'm not a writer, and I never intended to, I never really set out to be a writer or to write a book. So this is my first book. I felt... This is a story that should be preserved. Yeah, yeah, and so, and the reason you got into it, I guess, is because this is your story. This is something that happened to you, and yes. you, and Brian uh, Whitney kind of helped you uh, go through the writing process, I guess, with the book. Um, so, when did when did this all occur? Like, what time? What timing are we talking about? The, the events of the crime them, itself, or themselves, uh, began in 2003. Okay. I, uh, go ahead. I was going to, okay, so about how old were you then? I was about 40, okay. 41 okay. years old. And, and so what, maybe uh, let the listeners know, what kind of a life situation were you in? Were you uh, living with married and children? Were you single? Um, in a suburb, in the downtown of a city, kind of give a little paint the picture of, of the background. Uh, during the time that these uh, that these events began, I was not married, but I was in a relationship. Uh, I don't have children. I work in publishing as a book publicist, and I'm I'm from New York City originally, and at the time I was living in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which is a a pretty famous neighborhood now, but it wasn't back then. It was kind of like a forgotten, bottomed-out neighborhood, industrial neighborhood um, that is now very developed and, and very crowded and very fancy and expensive. So this really rolls back the, the time clock on what life was like uh, in Williamsburg, even back then. Wow. So um, now... So are you pretty active on social media? Like, you know, have you been um, back then too? Like, were you in, did you have a cell phone and you're on all the different, I mean, Facebook and stuff like that? Well, back then, Facebook had not been invented yet. We're talking early internet, 2003. Oh, yeah. And yeah. as best, you know, we all kind of forget the genesis of social media. It's very sophisticated now. Um but one thing really hasn't hasn't changed. Um, even though social media has become very advanced, people are still the same, right? Yeah. <laughs> Crime shows. We go through this all the time. Uh, the human condition, the human nature has not changed. The Internet has changed, but people really haven't changed. And I was very interested in the Internet, and it was new. Uh, there were no social media really the only social media was AOL messenger yeah <laughs> and I think Yahoo had a messenger and it was very primitive compared to now um, you had a buddy list you had friends and chatting and it was it was simple but it was fun and it was all very new and I was definitely interested in it I work in the publishing industry and all forms of media are uh, important and interesting to me for my job and, and just also as a person. Um, so I was kind of doing that. And I was, I never, you know, since since then, Facebook was invented, of course, but I, I really wasn't even interested in going on Facebook when it was first invented. You know, it was kind of like fine, not being, living in a fishbowl. So at the time, I was 
curious about my father's side of the family. Um, my parents split up when we were very young, and my father, who was very, you know, sort of withdrawn and kind of reclusive, uh, difficult to know, didn't really talk about family history very much. So, like anyone, you're curious about family, and, and today it's Ancestry.com, and it's very, again, it's very sophisticated. Uh, you can build family trees, and you can connect with people. Um, but back then, like everything else in 2003, it was really early. It was just a, there was a site called Genealogy.com, and it was very kind of primitive. There was no bells and whistles. It was just message threads that just connected streaming down, kind of like the way they do now, but yeah. it was just very basic. So it was just message, reply, message, reply, and it was it was popular even then. <laughs> so I was interested in what was, you know, maybe what the history of my family was. I, has, I had read a lot of books about Europe and World War II and the Holocaust, and my father's side of the family was Jewish. So I was so very curious about all of that and all of them. So I went to genealogy.com and looked at all the pages, and every family name had a page. And my name is Fenston, but originally in my my lineage, the name was originally Feinstein. My grandfather had changed it. So there were no Fenston pages. This was kind of a made-up name. Yeah. So I went to the Feinstein page, figuring that's where the Feinsteins gather. So And there was a lot of activity on the Feinstein page. So I looked through all of it, and I thought, gee, wow, there's a lot going on here. No one's ever going to notice my message. It's just, it feels like, I felt like a drop in an ocean. So I, I posted a, 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 just a post, a very simple post, looking for information on my grandfather, Morris Feinstein, who was from New York City around the turn of the century, just thinking someone somewhere might have some contact or memory or old faded memory of this person and no one famous of course and thinking no one's ever going to respond so yeah I, wow that's cra that's crazy and so so how long did you have to wait before did, were you getting any responses at all or was it just completely nothing within a couple of days i got one response from someone uh who didn't really seem like we had a real connection you know, the timelines didn't match up, the, the family sort of placing didn't really match up. But I thanked him for answering me, and that was it. And then a few days later, I got another message. And this was from a woman named Karen Gardner, who said in her message reply to me that she was just casually looking up her own family tree and saw my message, and she said she nearly fell out of her chair because we apparently have the same grandfather, which was certainly plausible because my father's father had two marriages and oh. two sets of children. Yeah. So the idea that there were distant cousins out there was certainly plausible and believable. So I, you know, a little cautious, but still thinking, gee, this is interesting. Not, you know, not many people would really know this about my grandfather. And it all seemed to be clicking. So... We got off the message board, the exchange email addresses, and just you know slowly began to correspond with each other. Okay, so so you never you never actually met. Where was she supposed to be living? Karen lived in Massachusetts, and she had a husband and two children, and she had a brother and a sister. Sharon was her sister, who also lived in Massachusetts, and her brother Leonard lived in New Jersey which is much closer to me in New York. Right. And she kind of described him as a wealthy uh, math wizard, entrepreneur, Wall Street, uh, very successful, um, kind of lived alone and was just a little mysterious. And I yeah. thought, well, all right, well, yeah. some yeah. people are just a little mysterious. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah, not well, from the just, most conventional yeah. background. <laughs> so now... So you guys were communicating and kind of developing a little bit of a friendship online. Um, now, uh, did you were you ever going to go meet her? Or well, it was very slow. You know, you yeah. don't want to just jump into something with someone. You know, you're you're. I'm still feeling a little a little cautious, 
And, you know, I'm a little bit of a reclusive person myself. There's something about a safe distance, just writing to each other, that I thought was okay. I used to, I used to really enjoy having pen pals in the past, you know, back when we used to write actual letters, yeah. <laughs> put them in the mail, wait a week or two, get a, mail, get a letter. I love that. Yeah. I loved letters and writing, writing to people, and sometimes that was enough. I didn't really want to take things any further. So excited about meeting people who were possibly relatives, definitely, because yeah. I had, my father had passed away just a couple of years before that. My sister had committed suicide in 1987. I have a very small family, so there weren't a lot of family. So this was definitely intriguing and a little bit thrilling, I have to admit. Uh, we're, we're, now, this is interesting. So when you guys were writing letters or emails back and forth, um, were you learning anything new about your family or your your grandfather that was supposed to be in common, or was it just stuff about her family? It was really more about her family, and that's what I was. You know, that's where that's where the jumping off point was. Her family, my family, what I did, what my life was like, her kids, her husband, her life, and she talked about her brother and sister a little bit, but it was very casual. It was. What are you doing for the holidays? What are you cooking for Thanksgiving? You know, stuff like that. It was very apple pie, yeah. very normal. And um, I wasn't really interested in, like, jumping on a train or, or, or a bus going up to Massachusetts, really, because she had sent me a couple of pictures of them and of her family. It was a posed family portrait by a professional photographer. They looked very conservative, yeah. you know, buttoned up, long skirts. I thought maybe they might have been uh, maybe Orthodox Jews. I'm not sure, but they were, they, were, they were definitely like upper middle class, very well dressed, standing there with their children and their, their beautiful suits and everyone was, it just looked kind of picture perfect. And that, that kind of, not, I didn't say intimidated me a little bit, but I thought, hmm, you know, I have a kind of an unconventional life. Maybe they won't like me. You know, maybe they'll think I'm, um, you know, maybe a little weird. I'm an artist. I live in New York. I don't have any kids. I work in publishing. I live in a kind of an industrial neighborhood. I wasn't really sure if these two worlds could completely meet. So right. I was going ahead with at a nice distance with her. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things. If you have completely different, you know, lifestyles, it might not be the. It might wreck the relationship if you meet. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, you may not get along. You yeah. may be just completely opposite. So that's the chance you take in all of these connections yeah. that you make with people. And it really depends on how far you want to take things. Of course. Now, you weren't getting any weird signals. You weren't like going, oh, this is like freaky. or There was nothing really unusual going on with the emails. Not yet, no. No, no. That's things. changed. So, so now, were you getting, did you get any other uh contacts from that uh, message board no none that was not it. at all okay yeah nobody it just kind of faded into the background and that was it but i was just kind of focusing on wow this is interesting these yeah. are possible cousins yeah no, cousins. It's, it's, it's really cool and, and things like that um so when did how long before it started getting kind of a little bit weird um or or, or let's just say unusual for you well, she talked about her brother a little bit, and she finally, she was kind of keeping things uh, quiet with her brother and sister, but then she opened up and told them about me. And she said that Leonard was uh, excited to hear about me and expressed some interest in possibly meeting me at some point. And her sister um, wasn't really happy about this at all. She was very suspicious. Um, it sort of moved ahead a little bit, and uh, she was guarding, very guarded about the family and very private and thought I, and sort of ca it came to a point where um, she just out and out accused me of being a con artist, and that I was after the family money and after Leonard's money, and, you know, apparently he had some 
you know, emotional issues, and she was, just went on a tear about me in a in an email to her sister about me that I was just a a thief and a liar, and I mean, none of that was true. And, and of course, it wasn't true. I mean, I was really hurt by that because I was sort of a little excited, and then I thought, okay, wait a minute, there, this woman is reading this completely wrong. I mean, this is the furthest. I'm just a regular person, and it's just normal curiosity. So that caused a disturbance in the. In the, in the web, you know, between them. Um, Leonard had written me and said, welcome to the family. I hope the new year is treating you well, and uh, maybe we'll meet downtown sometime the next time in the city. And I thought, I'd like to do that. You know, that seems safe, meeting in a public place, mm-hmm. having coffee. Mm-hmm. We could either like each other, we could either feel like we're, we are just so, you know, separate and not connected. And, you know, that's the chance you take. So, then he stopped writing, and Karen had said, well, she felt that maybe Sharon had already gotten to him and told him that I was bad news and I should be avoided, and I was absolutely looking to rip them off somehow. So Leonard stopped writing to me. But in the meantime, he had given me his AOL instant message handle, uh, which was L. Nackman 1. His last name was Nackman. So I added him to my AOL buddy list. And you can see when people sign on, at least you could back then, you could yeah. see them signing on, you could see them signing off. Their little icons with door would open and they'd swoosh in and either they'd say hello or they'd just swoosh right out. So that's the way the things were back then. But he had stopped writing to me, but then he would pop on and off my instant message uh, sort of message thing. I don't know what it's called anymore. but. Yeah. While all this was happening, I had a friend uh, in Brooklyn, and uh, he actually, I knew him in Brooklyn years ago. We had, he moved to Florida. We were not friends for a long time. He kind of went his own way, but by about 2001, he found me on the Internet. You could Google anyone, and he found me at my old job at Oxford University Press, because when you work in an industry like that, it's easy to find you. You've yeah. got your email out there on authors' websites, uh, the, the publisher's website, etc. So Bobby and I had reconnected, and he was, I was telling him all about this, and I was very excited about all this, and we would talk about them, and he and I would be chatting on AOL at night or any time. We were doing this a lot, and we would watch Leonard kind of pop on and off. Um, and then at one point, I started getting a lot of porn sent to me. Oh. to my email address oh. a lot. Wow. Uh, yeah. Was it, was it kind of weird porn, or was it just kind of just common stuff? No, it wasn't common, vanilla-type porn. It was the darkest fringe of the porn world. Um, okay, so pretty extreme. It was disturbing, yeah. really disturbing. Escort services, uh, trends, uh transsexual uh, escort services. It was a real emphasis on trans, uh, transgender, oh. and now, were you, were a you, lot of weird stuff like that. Oh, no, were you getting, like, so when you were getting this th- through email, did you, did you know who you were getting it from? No, I didn't. But what, as I was watching, I would watch Leonard pop on to AOL Instant Messenger. He would pop on. I would get a flurry of porn sites and signing me up for all kinds of porn sites, not only just sending me porn, but putting my email address into porn sites, and I would get the confirmations that I had signed up for all this stuff. It was a lot of weird stuff. And of course, I wasn't doing any of that. So the porn would flow, flow in, and then he would pop off. So this went on for a little while, and it was starting to become obvious that it was him doing this. Don't know... Don't know why he decided to do this. Um, we'd never spoken. I'd never had one or two, one in, one email from him, and that was it. Wow. Um, so, so now, were you? So, how were you feeling about this? Like at the time, were you just thinking? Um, were you putting the two of them together, or were you just thinking it was just for maybe being online or? going to different places that the porn was coming in? 
Well, I knew that it wasn't coming from anything I was doing. I, I don't go to porn sites. It's not something I am interested in. Um, I wouldn't accidentally do sign up for anything. Um, I was really disturbed. I was really saddened, um, disgusted, and angry. It, it, I just felt like, why am I being trashed this way by this person? Why is he obsessing on me in this way? I've never done anything to him. I was sort of looking forward to maybe gaining a friend, and now suddenly uh, something just went really strange, and it was clearly him because the pattern was like he would come on, the stuff would come into my inbox, and then he would disappear, and then that was it. So I started to put it together, and my friend Bobby, we both agreed that this looks very connected. There was no doubt. Now, were you feeling that at the time? Were you thinking that maybe he was just angry at you and sending this to be and doing these things because he was mad or do you think he was trying to come on to you like what what were you thinking was the was the reasoning well at first i thought he was just acting out in some aberrant way you know i don't know these people i have no idea right what their motivations were i'm just sort of guessing and angry about this and thinking, what, what is even the point of this? Just leave me alone. If you don't want to be friends with me, just leave me alone. It's really simple. I'm not doing anything. I'm not approaching them or bothering them or doing anything. I'm still writing to Karen, but uh, I'm not in touch with Leonard. And at, at a certain point, I, Karen was writing to me as though everything were nice and normal. And at some point, I, you know, I... I didn't really want to tell her what was happening uh, because it was just very disturbing. And I felt there was a little bit of a sexual obsession there, too. It wasn't just harassment. There was a lure there. There was an attraction there. There was a fixation. Um, so I, I finally wrote to her and I said, you know, I really don't know how to say this. I hate to tell you, but I have a feeling that um, Leonard is uh, sending me porn, some really bad porn, bad stuff. And... Uh, then then things went a little quiet for a little while. And then not long after that, she wrote back to me. And she said, mm. I'm really sorry. I should, have, I should have told you more about Leonard. I wasn't as forthcoming as I should have been. And then she went on in detail to me in like a three-page long email, his, his history, his, his mental health history, and his criminal history, too, something that I, you know, I wished I had been warned about a lot earlier, right? But that's not the first thing you say to someone, hey, welcome to the family. Oh, by the way, you know, <laughs> Leonard is a very volatile in a weird way, but I didn't get any warnings, and here I was with this suddenly going off in my lap like a bomb. And I did not like being in the middle of this. I didn't want to be targeted by anyone. And she apologized, but then she went into a very lengthy and detailed um, history about Leonard going back early into their family, where they had the three siblings, but there was another sibling named Sandra, who was a baby. And Sandra died in a mysterious fire in their house. Oh. And this was devastating to hear about because I'm just picturing it in my mind. It's going on like a film in my head now. I'm seeing flames. I'm seeing screaming and I'm hearing, I'm like imagining all this stuff. And Karen goes on to detail that the death of the baby Sandra was so devastating to their mother that she just, uh, she just had a complete breakdown and a complete break with reality. She was even carrying around a doll, pretending it was her baby and not letting it go. And there was suspicion that Leonard was possibly responsible, maybe, for the fire. And Leonard had been involved in some other things, peeping in uh, windows in their neighborhood, looking at girls, peeping in their windows. And at one point, a father of one of these girls that he was peeping on approached him and said, Hey, what are you doing? And Leonard hit him with a shovel and... I don't know how badly this man was hurt, but Leonard ended up getting sent somewhere for evaluation, for therapy, for just to get him off the streets because there was a serious problem there. Wow. Now, 
uh, now do you did you have any family um, that you were speaking with that were still alive that you you could communicate with about this new distant family no the my my father and his brother had both died uh so there was no one on that side of the family and i i talked to my mother about this and when i first told her about it she she wasn't really all that pleased to hear about it she she felt that my father's my father and their whole family was just kind of crazy. And mm. My father had been in and out of Bellevue Hospital in New York, which is famous for their psychiatric unit, um, yeah. and he had emotional issues and kind of dropped out. And he was hospitalized a couple of times, and he was reclusive and hard to know. So, you know, I it was very believable that you know in the coil of DNA throughout this family that there was a disturbance of some kind and manifesting in a in a quite a you know ugly form um so my mother was not really particularly pleased and she couldn't understand why I was searching for family anyway but I don't think she could totally understand it because when you're you, you grow up in a, a broken home there's always that wondering like what's the other half it's natural right mm. who who what made me it's just natural curiosity if you don't know anything right so i i didn't have any other family to talk to about this yeah and this leonard sort of fit in in a way because of his issues yeah it was believable you know yeah i mean there's there's a lot of stuff about my personal history in the book that we we can't cover everything of course but just to suffice it to say that this um unusual uh unconventional way of being was not uh, unheard of completely yeah, yeah. well so. you know things are things and things happen um yeah so how how long was this going on this went on for a couple of weeks give or take and leonard then just disappeared uh karen did her best to sort of explain the whole thing, and she went into other detail about his criminal history as well, not just his psychiatric history, but there was a criminal uh, sort of history as well. And Leonard, in the mid-'80s, had been charged, along with two other men, in a kidnapping and rape of a young girl. Oh. So, yeah, yeah. she talked about this a little bit, and she gave me a couple of names of... The offenders, and that was that. I just felt like an electric shock go through me. Like, oh my God, this is even worse, right? This is not just some, you know, mental illness. You know, not all mentally ill people are dangerous. Some no. people just have problems, right? right? I mean, there's nothing to be ashamed of. But when you combine that with a a, a violent uh, criminal history, that's very bad. And so I had this letter from her and I shared it with my friend Bobby and we were just pouring over it all the details what does this mean who are these people so we looked at the names of the offenders and we googled them and they were clearly registered sex offenders in New Jersey and their their pictures were up their their rap sheets all their information about their arrests and their incarcerations were there and they were terrifying yeah you you know you think you see a lot criminals you know, we, we all know what, you know, serial killers are like and so on and so forth. And it's nice to close the book of your true crime book and put it on the shelf. But when you're staring at it in the face and it's real, it's very different. And it's it's too close for comfort. Yeah. It's, so, it's, were, were you worried about him just showing up around your house or something? Yes, I was. I absolutely was. But what happened was I reported him to AOL for the email abuse and Roadrunner, which was one of the other accounts. I don't think Roadrunner exists anymore. Everything's changed, but Roadrunner, AOL, uh, and I complained, and then I got a long, strange, sort of crazy quilt email from Leonard. And he says, do you like to complain? He says, I can make you moan, too. Oh, wow. So I sent this to Karen. This time I was just, I just didn't even care how she felt about it anymore. It was like, Karen, this is your brother. I don't need this in my life. 
this is horrifying. And then things went a little quiet for a little while, and then I heard from her husband. Her husband is named Hal. And Hal was probably the more sane of the whole crew. And he said, you know, I'm really sorry you had to go through this. Karen had said she was excited about meeting you. I'm very sorry about Leonard. Karen should have told you more. But because of this, he had because he had sent me these emails and all of this porn, it had violated some kind of parole of some sort that he had. So he was sent back to Greystone Psychiatric in New Jersey because he wasn't supposed to be doing things like this. So he was sent back to Greystone where Hal said, he will be dealt with, and they know him. So at this point, Leonard is now back in a, in, a, in a psychiatric hospital in New Jersey, and the whole family, I'm sure, is just reeling from all of this. And me too. Yeah. But, but in a way, you probably feel, felt a little safer now all of a sudden. No. No. Especially no. <laughs> no. if he got put in, into a, into a, you know, a hospital, then at least you know, we know where he's at. Right, but that's not a permanent situation. No. That's a bring you in like an auto body shop. You know, they patch you up, they paint you, they, they fix your tires, they give you some medical, med, med, you know, medication, and then you're out. This is not permanent. Right. You know, no one's ever really permanently sentenced to psychiatric unless, you know, there are other there are legal reasons why you you can't be held forever. And so forth. I mean, I don't know. I, again, back then, and probably still now, I'm not really familiar with all the, you know, yeah. the laws and the, and the and the where's and the who's and the what's of how someone is put into a, a state like that and then let out. But apparently, he was in. Wow. So, um, what did you decide to do at that point? I decided to stop talking to them and just go about my business and let it go. And I said, Karen, I'm really sorry. This is not what I signed up for. It was nice knowing you. I wish you all the best, but I cannot deal with this. Right? I'm a woman basically alone, living alone by the East River in a very industrial neighborhood and in a big city, and I felt very vulnerable, especially now that I had been embedded in Leonard's mind so deeply for some very unsavory reasons. Yeah, that is, it's pretty, uh, pretty scary. And 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 uh, so now you were you were talking about your friend. Uh, what was it, Bobby or something? Um, yes. Was now so were you were you telling him about everything that was going on as well? Were you guys getting closer? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I really leaned on him for support during all this. At first it was kind of interesting and kind of funny and odd and wow, look at this and then it just turned very dark and went, it started going downhill very quickly. Um, so I leaned on him for support every minute all the time, showing him what was happening, talking to him about it on the phone, emailing him, chatting on instant message. So it became like a really sordid, awful, creepy soap opera. Did, and did you make did it make you think that you maybe wanted to move in with him maybe or or some other no. roommate? No. Or no, but or no. another roommate or move away? Uh I at, at a certain point later on I was about to move away. Um Bobby was living in Washington DC and I'm from New York. He's originally from New York too. Yeah. But he was living in DC. I'm from the city. My whole life is in the city. In my industry is in New York. Leaving New York would mean giving up everything, everything. So yeah. that wasn't really an option yet because it really hadn't, you know, things had started to get a lot worse as things progressed. Um, I mean, remember, this this happened over about a year and a half. So the months are ticking by and things are just getting worse and worse. Um, Bobby is gay and we were very good friends, so there was no... Uh, romantic interest or anything like that and I had no intentions of moving in with him but I really relied on his friendship for support because I really couldn't tell a lot of people about this it was just too weird yeah well yeah and it's it's yeah I know what you're saying weird and personal yeah yeah well yeah so what were you going to do about it then like where did it did it get to a point where you felt like 
were people starting to show up at your house or phoning you or anything really weird like that happening? There were a couple of hang-ups. Um, actually, right before the email that I got uh, that said, you like to complain, I could make you moan, uh, I was on the phone with Bobby talking about all this like midnight or on the phone and I'm shaking in my apartment and I get a call waiting beep right it's a beeping and it's like who is calling me yeah. at midnight no one calls me at midnight <laughs> right and you get that little electronic beep and it, it sort of it makes my heart jump you know, my heart is just leaping into my throat while this is happening I mean I'm shaking and I'm like who is that and then the email came in so gradually the phone calls started kind of coming in um i had sort of let them all go and then a little like a few weeks later karen wrote to me again apologizing again leonard is in graystone getting the help that he needs um he's basically kind of bouncing off the walls in his room and he's very sorry um about all of this and he is um, painting a painting that he wants to give to me <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh boy! And I just somehow I got—I just knew it was a painting of me. I just had a feeling. It just—he's yeah. painting a painting of me. He wants to make amends, and he wants to give this to me. And that—that that was creepy. Yeah. Beyond belief. Oh wow! So. And he is going to get out soon. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> it's something you have to worry about. So, did Absolutely. any more letters start coming? Uh, I'd finally kind of learned to navigate all the porn that was still coming in because there's a residual thing. When you sign people up for all this spam, you still get stuff emailed to you that you don't want. So this was like a lingering, you know, traces of thanks for joining triple, double, quadruple X and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you know, so that was kind of still going on. I'm still rattled from the whole thing. Still now, now worried that Leonard might show up when he gets out and Karen had warned me he's been known to disappear and go on voyages without telling anyone so if he sh she said if he shows up on your doorstep just smile and be friendly <laughs> oh there you go that's <laughs> just smile be friendly have some coffee Said, smile and be friendly, and here's the number for Gracie Square uh, Psychiatric Services. They know him. If he shows up, just call them. And I'm just, you have to picture where I live. I live on the, on the river, and back then, Williamsburg was pretty desolate. There were no high-rises. There were no luxury towers, no nothing, no nightclubs. I mean, it was a dead end yeah. by the water. So if someone just showed up on my stoop knocking on my window now i live on the ground floor. i live i don't live there anymore but i lived on the ground floor and windows facing the street so anyone could just knock on my window <laughs> so it was especially vulnerable and thinking this this guy is just going to show up on me and what do i do it was terrifying it was really terrifying i'm not going to just smile and be friendly you know it's like dealing with Godzilla, right, or King Kong. I mean, you know, what do you do? Anything can happen, and he's obsessed with me. So I was terrified that he was just going to show up. Um, so they were, his family was kind of on that, yeah, we're kind of monitor, monitoring it, and, you know, he's he's living outside the facility, and he has some friends that are kind of helping him out, making sure he takes his meds and keeping him on track, um, but at this point, I'm just kind of wondering, like, what are his friends really like? I mean, how do you monitor somebody? So I just felt like this was a cannon, like a loose cannon about to go off at any minute. So um, that's kind of where that led. Um, but there's so much more. I mean, we could talk about this for hours and hours, and we, we kind of have to paint it with very broad strokes to kind of cover a, the narrative of this. So that's where that kind of you know yeah. sort of stopped so so were you were you considering calling the police or reporting this or anything like that i was i was um at a certain point 
while this is all happening, I get another email. Hal and I, Karen's husband, began to email frequently because Hal seemed to have a more of a handle on things. He seemed the most grounded and more objective. The family um, didn't have any objectivity. Karen always seemed to be smoothing things over. Oh, it was just a little legal thing. Oh, it was just a little thing. And Oh, he's really a nice guy once you get to know him. But Hal was more realistic. He was like, look, there's some other things you don't know about Leonard. There's a a woman, a young woman who was murdered in New Jersey, a uh, young woman about 22, um, stabbed to death and left out to be found. And before she died, Leonard had met her and was talking to the family about how he met this new girl and he was really happy about her and he was really over the moon and they had dated a little bit. And then one day he just stopped talking about her. And then later, not long after that, it was in the news that she was found dead. Well, of course, Bobby and I Googled her name, found the story, and it was just horrifying. She was young, and she had a little girl, and she was just starting out her life, and she was a single mother, and she wound up murdered by some savage, and she was blonde, blue-eyed, about my height, which made it even worse. Wow. I felt like I could have just slipped right into her shoes. Right? You know, killers tend to have a pattern. People they like to kill, right? Yeah. Ted yeah. Bundy liked a certain type, right? Everybody has their type. So I thought, oh, God, I'm his type. This is awful. So that's when I went to the police. And yeah. I thought, yeah. at least I'd make a report in case anything happens and they can sort of have some evidence or something. So with that, with that uh, girl that was found... Um, so that was a real story. You were able to verify that through the papers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was real and it was uh, unsolved. So now do you think even now to this day that Leonard, so to speak, um, the character of Leonard actually killed that girl? Well, what I know now is no. Yeah. He didn't. But I didn't know that then. Yeah. It gets far more complex than you can, most people could even imagine this thing gets. You think it's bad. Now it gets actually a lot worse as things go on. This is just the beginning. And the murder was just a terrible, terrible, like, just a, it was, I felt like knives going into me. It was just awful. I mean, if I felt vulnerable and worried um, before, now it was getting to be, like, critical and that's when I went to the police. And the police, remember, this is 2004. Internet is very new. How do you report this? How do you get things moving? He's in another state. I'm here in New York. Local police really aren't always equipped to, to handle certain things like this. Yeah, you're getting some strange, threatening emails, but there was nothing they could do about it back then. Right. They were like, well, we could take a report but there's really nothing to follow up on. He's not in our jurisdiction. He hasn't broken any, you know, he hasn't committed any crimes yet. So there's nothing they could do. But they had a report. That's all I could do, yeah. just make a report. I just, it wasn't very comforting. No. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no, you can't really, you know, it's nothing you can hold on to there. There's just, it's just, uh, yeah. Um yeah, I wanted it to stop. I wanted it all to stop. I, and at, at that point, I I closed down my email accounts, changed them. I changed my Internet server account. I went from Verizon to Roadrunner. I mean, I tried to erase all tracks and erase them all from my life. Did not want anything more to do with any of this. And But at the same time, while I was, you know, sort of like trying to disappear, I was really concerned about what was going to happen next. You know, yeah. it almost seemed better to keep an eye on them than to not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of so. So when you changed everything, um, did it all stop, or did it start happening again? Uh, there was a little bit of a a break there. There was a little time out. 
which was a uh, an unsettling kind of reprieve because I still hadn't recovered from the whole thing, right? Yeah. I felt like I stepped on the third rail, right? I, I walk into this family's life, and then they start, you know, splitting at the seams and going crazy, and someone goes into a psychiatric facility, and needless to say, his other sister, Sharon, who had painted me as a criminal, was now utterly on the warpath. And she, uh, Karen, emailed me uh, to warn me that um, Sharon was going to come to the city to confront me. She was going to drive. She made an excuse that she was going to go see some Broadway show, but she was really driving to New York to sort of check me out. So even though I had stopped checking my email accounts, they were still alive. You know, if you stop checking Yahoo, it'll stay alive for a long time. Right. But it doesn't really close, right? Yeah. So the emails were st- from her were still kind of coming in. Wow. So now you're worried about Sharon coming. Um, now, did, did anybody yeah. ever show up? Uh, no one showed up and knocked on my door, but I got an email from Sharon saying, I've seen where you live. Ooh. I've seen where you live. I've seen that dump where you live. You know, I've lived in a tenement building, you know, yeah. New York City style. It's not suburbia by any stretch. And to an outsider, it may look like, you know, slummy, but, you know, slummy is my home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she said that she came, she saw where I lived, and it was a dump, and I deserved to live in a place like that. And she also made a trip uh, around the neighborhood, and she went to the local pet store where I know everyone and was asking questions about me. And that was just awful. The thought of her outside of my door. I mean, she's on the warpath. I mean, I forgot to mention that all of this drama, Leonard going in, Sharon was about to remarry. Hal told me that she had a previous husband, who died, and there's some sort of, you know, suspicion about what happened to her first husband, right? That's a whole other thing. But she was about to remarry, and her fiancé-to-be saw all of this happening with Leonard and everything, and he canceled their wedding plans. So she was on the absolute war path. I had caused all of this, right? I was like a bomb going off, and I'm being blamed for all of this. And all I did was, hey, I'm just searching for family. <laughs> and now it's like it's like a war going on. And Sharon I was really out for blood. And she um, continued to send me emails from time to time, threatening me, uh, not threatening to kill me or anything, but saying, you know, you'd better watch it, and yeah. we know who your boyfriend is. And at this point, my boyfriend uh, starts getting hang-up calls. Oh. And whispery calls and hang-ups. Um, n- there's no way any of them had his his phone number. There's no way they could have even gotten it. So that was just shocking and awful. He would be, you know, just sitting there and his phone would ring and it would be like, you know, whispers like, I'm going to get you, you know, and then hang up on him. <laughs> and that, that went on for, for quite a while. So not only was I being subjected to threats and stalking but it kind of started spilling out into his life as well wow crazy story now this has a very unusual ending and it's it's quite a quite a surprise um but um i guess we we don't want to give away the ending really we want people to pick up the book Um, yes but how would you best wrap it up like well, um, without giving away too much here, um, I guess. I guess without giving away too too much, yeah. we finally it gets it gets worse. I mean, it goes deep and it gets worse and worse. And I'm now getting threats at my office and emails at my office. And then we go to the FBI, and we get a, a meeting with the FBI. So the FBI gets involved. And then things just kind of go dark, right? FBI comes in. I have a meeting with them. I explained everything. And then it was like a, a, a lights 
switch being flipped. All Everything just went silent. Nothing happening. So there was a period of silence for a couple of months, and then it started up again. And to sort of wrap it up, the FBI finally are able, because of something that happened to me at work, uh, get a subpoena for one of the email addresses. And they tell me who it is. And you, no one would believe it, right? If it yeah. weren't true, you just wouldn't believe it. Yeah. But I don't so, know want to give the whole thing away, but no, I think you know, but there's so, so it much all to this out, story. It all turned out in the end where you're safe now, everything's good. Well, yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know. I never feel really safe, honestly. I don't. Um, but there was there was a conclusion and there was justice but i i think you really got to read the book to really to yeah. really get the, the your mind wrapped around um what was behind all of this because it's completely unexpected and there are many interactions with these sex offenders and other characters as well and it goes deep yeah and it just becomes like a like a like an opera right like a yeah. greek opera just elaborate and the scope and breadth of it uh, but there's a real twist at the end yeah. that I never yeah. saw coming and it was really sort of more shocking than the entire uh, set of events themselves yeah it makes it more of a, a shock than anything well, incredible story incredible book we'll have this posted on our website um, you have a very soft voice Susan and that's the shocking true story of Internet stalking. Now, I would ask right now if you'd have any um, um, contact information for for listeners, but you probably don't give that out anymore, hey? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I joined Facebook, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I very reluctantly joined Facebook, and I'm I'm on Facebook. I, I don't have a website, and I don't have an author page. Um, I think because I'm just so still worried about what's out there. Yeah. Um, but if you wanna, if you wanna buy the book, it's on Amazon. There's a, a Kindle version and there's a, a paperback that just came out. Um, that's easy to find. And if you want to ask me questions, contact me, you know, anything. I'm I'm on Facebook. I'm Susan Fenced, and I'm the only one so far. I don't think there are any imposters yet, but that's <laughs> where you yet, can find me. Well, <laughs> hope not. Well, thank you very much. We'll have the book on our website as well. Again, our guest is Susan Fenton. Thank you. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.